This is Truth Encounter, and our study of Revelation today takes us into chapter 3 as our Truth Encounter study leader, Dave Wurtson, continues our discussion of the letter to the Church of Philadelphia. Dave begins by challenging us, Jesus deserves our faithful devotion forever. Why? Because he alone is God's Lamb slain for the sins of the world. Let's join Dave. What salvation is is saying, Jesus, come into my life. I want you to come and live inside of me. You come in and I depend upon the fact that you died for me. Revelation 1 says that we worship before the lamb that was slain. He was a slain lamb who loosed us from our sins. Revelation 4 and 5 focuses on the slaughtered lamb. You need to understand that. You need to hang on to that. That's the bedrock of my life. That's what our families are built on. That's what our church family is built on. And what Jesus is saying is you've got you to endure in that commitment. Now, the Holy Spirit inside of you will enable you to endure. But the New Testament is very strong. This is not just like I get a club ticket and now I can just live any way I want to and then I just live happily ever after. This is a relationship. Just like your marriage was a relationship. You made a covenant and you entered into covenant with your wife and with your husband. And there's intimacy that flows from that. That's the model of what Jesus wants to have with you. And these early believers initially responded. They believed in Jesus like that. And now Jesus is encouraging them to hang on. And I got news for you. It's tough for them. Some of them, their own parents, won't talk to them anymore because they've walked out of the synagogue. They've been excommunicated from the synagogue. Some of them have lost their positions at work. Some of them, as we study these seven churches, some of them have even been taken out and executed. They've been murdered. This is the real thing. We're moving into a world where this is the real thing. You're going to have to decide. It's not just cultural Texas Christianity. This is Jesus or not. And I want you to know that right during this year, there's been thousands of believers, thousands of believers killed for the name of Jesus. Around the world, people have been giving their life for Jesus. And man, if you're preaching revelation in a third world country that's under persecution, man, they sit on the edge of their... They know what this is about. Because this week, they're going to go out and face that kind of a thing. And when you tell them that, hang on to Jesus. Hang on to him. It's really important to them. But I want you to know, I think it's just as important for us living in nice, comfortable America. Because I think Satan is using a lot of very cunning, deceitful... Different ways. One of the biggest things is just to live for America and to live for what America can bring and just to watch TV and just to get caught up in, in just the entertainment side of life and just work a little bit, earn a little money and let your whole life just slip by without ever really doing anything in intimacy with Jesus and for Jesus and to serve Jesus. What a waste. What a terrible life to live. So the temptations are even great. And we as believers, we have incredible opportunities in the world today. Incredible opportunities for travel to take the gospel out. These are incredible days. And I think just as some churches in the world are facing suffering from physical means, I think sometimes we face emotional suffering. I think sometimes we face the suffering of disease. None of us can escape what the Philadelphian church is facing in their own life. But Jesus comes with us and gives great comfort to us. He says, I want you to endure And he was a model of endurance. What the Lord wants to develop in our life is that when we're facing hard times for his sake, when we're facing hard times for his sake, that we endure patiently. 
There's a beauty in that. There's a transforming power in that. When someone's trying to kill you, when someone's rejecting, when someone hates you, the kids can remember this at school. The person that persecutes you for, for your commitment to Jesus, that person's the one you want to zero in on and pour kindness upon them. That's the most powerful power in all of the universe. The guy at work, the guy at work that cusses you out, that, that doesn't give you the position because you're a believer and you know you lose some of, that, some of that position that you thought you rightfully deserved, that's a person, rather than getting angry, the Lord wants you to pour in love at that point. He wants you to endure patiently. He wants you to hang in there. And there's tremendous power if we can learn how to endure patiently. One of the things that's happened in the, in the great abortion conflict is that people have not endured patiently. And now the whole debate has become totally confused because if you say that you're against abortion, it means you're for bombing. You see how, what Satan does? What Martin Luther King really understood when you're facing persecution is the way to win is not to get angry and to destroy and to fight because then there's just a mighty bloodbath. What Martin Luther King understood is the way you have victory in a persecuting situation is you endure with joy. You endure patiently. You demonstrate that you have a manhood and a womanhood in God that's more powerful than anything your enemy has. And what it does is make your enemy foolish. It makes evil the evil, chaotic, stupid mess that it is. Some of you have seen Life is Beautiful, not a believing film, but the story of a Jewish Italian who takes his little tiny boy into the concentration camp. And he convinces his son that it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's all a lark. It's a, it's a camp. And so he lifts his son's spirit up by making the whole thing like it's a summer camp experiment. And what's so powerful about that film, like one of the most powerful things in the film, is they have a Nazi come in explaining to the concentration camp people that are there, these men that are there, they're going to literally end up in the gas tanks, killed and exterminated, he has this Nazi pouring out this vitriolic evil and the guy's father, who doesn't understand German at all, is just acting like he's translating it and pretending like it's just a big summer camp outing. Now what's so powerful about that? It shows how banal and how stupid this evil is. And how someone who's enduring, someone who's going to affirm life, you see, God's natural revelation, if God's natural revelation can help an Italian Jewish marvelous actor to understand that the way to beat evil is to endure with joy. We need to learn it. That's what this book is about. It never calls for believers to grab their AK-47s and blow the enemy away. That's not what Revelation's about. Eventually, Jesus comes and just speaks the word and they're gone. But through the whole book he calls, this demands the patience of the saints. Now, you're going to need to pray for me in that. Because if there's one thing I'm not, I am not patient. How about you? If I'm just in a discussion, if I'm just in a discussion, one of the big adjustments in my life is having you know, two grown adult daughters suddenly land, land in my family. You know, I find that we all get together with my new daughters-in-laws and 
You know, we start talking about ideas. You know, they haven't been raised exactly the way I was. So sometimes you get in conversations, and man, I find that they disagree with me. <laughs> and man, that's like telling a pit bull, you know, let's go for it. But when you're trying to develop a new, you know, give birth to a new fatherly relationship, you know, rising up in anger and winning an argument and just bringing all that Ph.D. training to bear and bringing those heavy automatic weapons, just blow them away. I lose all the way around if I ever do that. One of the hardest things for us to do as believers is to learn to endure patiently. To learn to be patient. Yet you're going to find as you grow older, I guarantee it. As you grow older, you find out it's the person that is patient in conflict. The person that endures in conflict. The person that keeps affirming the truth in conflict. The person that keeps standing for Christ in conflict. The person that doesn't let their own personal pride get all mixed up with its quest for truth. Instead, they just stay focused on the dear Lord Jesus and they endure for him. That's the person that starts to have an incredible influence. And that's what I covet that incredible influence of a people that will endure suffering for the sake of our crucified lamb. And we will endure like he endured. And we will act like him under pressure. And we will allow his life within us to well up. And Jesus promises us that if we do that, if we do that, we're going to have testing. We're going to have suffering now. But he promises that he's going to come and take us out before the big show begins with a horrible time of tribulation. He says that I will, those who keep my word, he says, I will, now we have the second use of this word. He says, I will, because you obeyed my word of endurance, because you responded to the gospel, because you trusted in me, and you allowed the spirit to work in your life and to transform you. He says, because you obeyed my word, I am going to keep you. And now we use the word in the second way, which means to keep safe. To keep in a safe place. For example, when Jesus turned the water to wine and uh, the, the, the servants carry the, the wine to the, the head of the feast and the, the man says, you have kept the best wine until now. That's the word that she is. What's he saying? He says, you have kept the wine down in the cellar in a nice place where it aged perfectly and now you've brought it out. You have kept... It was all guarded and protected, and now you've brought forth your beautiful, precious, the, the best part of the feast. And it uses the word keep like that. When, uh, when Mary pours the ointment on Jesus, those that attacked her and says, this should have been kept. This should have been kept. You know, why did she just pour it out and waste it? And what they're saying is, why didn't Mary just guard it? Why didn't she just hold on to it? Why didn't she keep it preserved in a safe place? Why didn't she just break it out? You see what the meaning of the word is? Now what Jesus is saying is that you are Jesus' precious, precious bottle of perfume. You are his precious loved one. You are the one that he cherishes and that he adores. And what he's saying is that he, is going, he promises in this verse, the word literally, I will keep you. I will guard you. I will preserve you. I will protect you. In an out-from position, when the hour of incredible testing, which is coming upon all the earth, breaks forth. And it's one of the strongest arguments. There's all kind of debate on whether the rapture takes place before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, before God's wrath begins, at the end of the tribulation. 
This is one of the strongest reasons. I'm sharing from my heart. I want you to know that in the big family of Christianity, I have friends that believe that they, they kind of blur it all together and Jesus comes at the end and then we usher in the end of time and everything's kind of just checked all in together. But they believe just as strongly as I do that Jesus died for their sins. They believe in the empty tomb and they're my brothers and sisters. I want you to know and I love them dearly. Some of my dear friends believe that Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation. They think the church goes to the tribulation and they think that this verse means that they will be preserved through the tribulation. The problem that I have with that view is that if you read the book of Revelation, in fact, the, one of the major commentaries of the book of Revelation was written by a man named Charles, and Dr. Charles felt that everybody died that believed in Christ. They were all martyrs. And if that's preserving through, if you look at what happened in the book of Revelation, it's kind of a very weak preservation. And I think it does a great disservice to my Savior. My Savior promises, I'm going to protect you. I will keep you. You'll be in a safe place. And man, half of, I mean, three quarters of us lose our life and we're barely hanging down at the end. That's tough for me. I'm not saying at all. Some of my friends will tell me, say, we don't want to go through tribulation. That's not at all what I'm talking about. Man, some of you are going through tribulation right now. And yet, one of the things you're going to find, if you ever go into a situation where there's really intense, outright persecution and suffering, you're going to find out that it'll be one of the most joyous experiences of your life because there's a powerful outpouring of the Spirit of God. So I want you to understand that as I talk to you about the, the rapture, I'm not talking to you at all telling you that you're not going to have to undergo persecution. You might never have to face martyrdom because all those things could happen right in our church. I mean, we're sending young people out, adults. We could easily have someone lose their life for the sake of the gospel. Jesus has been promising us that kind of protection. What I am saying, though, is that I think that Jesus makes a very clear promise of the Philadelphian church. Before the great hour of the final tribulation upon planet Earth, what Daniel refers as the 70th week of Daniel, before the time of Jacob's trouble begins, where God changes the focus and begins to work on reaching his physical sons of Abraham and then using those physical sons of Abraham to produce a gigantic revival in the world, before you have that final seven years of God's plan working itself out during this tribulation, I think Jesus promises the Philadelphian believers, you will be kept in an out-from position. And I ask the question, how are you going to do that? He says, I come quickly. Now, all of my friends agree, whether if I use fancy labels for them, whether they're amillennialists, whether they're post-tribulationists, whether they're mid-tribulationists, all of my friends that believe in this book believe that Jesus is coming back. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. You'll understand why. 1 Thessalonians, they all believe that at some time Jesus is coming back. So we're not arguing over whether or not Jesus is physically going to come back and take us to be with him. And what 1 Thessalonians 4 shows us is that not all of the believers in Christ are going to die. Not all of them will die. And Paul writes this letter to comfort the believers. Look what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. You usually read this at funerals, but probably most of you aren't paying attention very well then. And uh, you're probably getting ready. You want to get away from the gravesite. And you might have missed this incredible comforting passage. Look what it says. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Those who have died, in other words. I don't want you to grieve like the rest of humanity who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. How many of you believe that Jesus died and rose again for you? You believe that? Okay, you're part of that group. 
We believe, so you join with the Thessalonians. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. What's the promise? They're worried about their loved ones that have died in the Lord. How many of you have some loved ones that have died in the Lord? A lot of you do. What did Jesus just promise you? He says when he comes back for you, you know what he's going to do? He's going to bring your loved ones with him. Isn't that great? It's like a, a loving, tender note. Man, I want to see David again. Dad and mom want to see David again. And Jesus knows that. He says, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to bring David, Mary's mom and dad. We lost David when he was 15. You know what Jesus promises? He says, when I come back for dad and mom and the Van Campen family, he says, I'm going to bring David with me. I'm going to bring John, Mary's older brother, with me. Isn't that great? You put the name of the person that you've lost in there. Isn't that incredible? I'll bring that person with me. They're worried about the people that have died, thinking, man, they missed out and everything. And they say, hey, Jesus, they didn't miss out. They're safe with me, and when I come to get you, I'll bring them with me. Look what it says further. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that those who are still alive, that's those of us, if it happened today, we would be in that group. You who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not perceive those who have fallen asleep, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now their spirit has been dwelling with God, because the Bible says to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. But this is God not letting Satan have the last word about anything. And so he resurrects them bodily from the grave. They get a new glorified body. They meet the Lord. They get a head start on us. And then those that are still alive at the coming of the Lord, it says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. There's the word that we get the word rapture from. They'll be snatched away. The great snatch. You'll be snatched away. You'll be caught up. You'll be caught up together with them. So you meet your loved ones. I'll never forget dear Dr. DeHaan, who lost his precious little girl. I'll never forget Dr. DeHaan sharing this passage. And he would just break down and weep. And says, my dear Savior loves me so much. And he wants, he wants to have my heart so full that what he does is give me my little girl in my arms again. And then together we turn and face the Savior. Isn't that beautiful? When the Lord has you see him, he doesn't want you looking around and saying, where's my loved ones? Because he's always thinking of others. He's always thinking of your tender needs and your dear, dear desires. Because he loves you. He's, he's an incredible lover that never misses anything. And so he, he unites us with our loved ones that we've lost. And then it says, together, together with them in the clouds, we meet the Lord in the air, and then we will be with the Lord forever. Now look at the next chapter. It goes on and talks about this in verse 4. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day will surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light, the sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then... Let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. That's why we can't just join the secular world. We can't just party. We can't just go uh, nightclubbing and get drunk and just live for now. We just can't do that. Because we're destined for a different destiny. It says, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of, the, of, uh, the hope of salvation as a helmet. Now look at this verse, verse 9. And it's a reaffirmation of Revelation 3.10. I will keep you in an out-from position 
Notice that it says in verse 2 of this chapter, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. There's the day of the Lord. That's the subject of this chapter. Verse 2, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That's his time of Jacob's trouble. Now look what he says here in verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. He did not appoint us wrath as parallel to the day of the Lord. For God did not, did not destine us, did not appoint us for suffering the day of the Lord, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as you are doing. That's why I believe that the Lord Jesus will come before the tribulation period. Because Revelation 3.10 promises you, as faithful believers that have invited Jesus into your heart, that because you believed in his gospel, because you have persevered in that commitment to him, he promises all that do that are going to be kept in an out-front position from the hour that's about to come upon the whole earth. He promises you the promises like he made it, and as he finishes the letter, he says, I'm going to make you a, a column in my temple. What does that mean? There's not going to be a physical temple in the final chapter of Revelation. God's dwelling is the temple. And he says, you're going to be intimately joined with God. You'll be just as permanent a fixture in intimacy with God as a, as a mighty pillar is in a physical temple. He says, I'm going to write my name upon you. That means you're going to be owned by him. God says, I'm going to write the name of the city of Jerusalem on you. You're going to be a citizen of heaven. Now, just think of the hope that that brought to these Philadelphian believers. Here's these little struggling believers following the cult of the carpenter. And John has the audacity to tell them these incredible promises. But you know what? You know what I love? Some of those Philadelphian believers believed. Some of those dear saints sitting in Philadelphia read this letter and they believed it. And that's why I'm in the ministry. Because from a human standpoint, to be honest with you, man, if I would have sat together in in Philadelphia, probably in a little house, kind of like a three-sided house, probably in an opening courtyard, and we would have taken out this parchment scroll and we would have read it. And I think, you know, we would have had a debate after after this letter was read. And somebody starts telling me, man, you know, what do you think? Domitian's going to win. I said, yeah, I think Domitian's going to win. I think the Roman Empire is the, is the way to go. It's the, it's the human thing. They're building roads better than roads have ever been built. They've got armies better than armies have ever marched. They're developing new weaponry every single day. They rule all the way from Gibraltar to the Hindus Valley and on into China. And you're telling me, we just read in this letter that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords and he's going to come and, and there's going to be this great shakedown of planet Earth and he's going to show who's boss. And you think this little carpenter from Galilee is going to win? I think from a human standpoint, I would say, not a chance. But you know what? For 2,000 years now, there's been those little huddles that read this book. And by a miracle of God's spirit, some of those that read it, Feel it deep in their soul. Jesus tells the truth. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away my sins. Jesus is the ultimate conqueror. And he doesn't conquer just by physical power and might. But right now he conquers by his tender love and his sacrifice for us. And down through time, in every single period, there's been men and women like you, and boys and girls, and young men and women like you, that have said the whole world might follow the Roman Empire or the Nazis, 
or communism. But I'm following Jesus. And I might give my life for it, but I'm following Jesus. I'm hanging on to him. Because he's worth hanging on to. Because he's the only one that when the great snatch comes, that has the power to back up his promises. For those of you that are older, you can leave here encouraged and hopeful. Because our new bodies are coming. And he's going to keep his promises. When we go out into school this week, we go out into our jobs this week, and we can be encouraged. When you're mocked and when Jesus' name is cursed, you can remember this great passage. You can endure patiently. You can endure with joy. And you can stop being a secret service Christian. And I can stop being a secret service Christian by boldly identifying with his precious Savior who gives us the great Philadelphian promise. Because you have kept the word of my patience, I promise I'll keep you as my precious ointment, my precious, beautiful person in the family of God. I'm going to guard you and keep you safe away from this hour, this time of terrible trouble that's coming upon all the earth. And I don't know about you, but I'm really thankful that I have that promise. And I'm not going to have to go through that great time of great tribulation. 